Chapters eleven and twelve of the Mistress of Shenston by Florence Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eleven, twixt sea and sky. Myra never forgot Jim Eyre's prayer. Instinctively, she knew it to be the first time he had voiced his soul's thanksgiving or petitions in the presence of another. Also, she realized that for the first time in her whole life, prayer became to her a reality as she crouched on the ledge beside him shaking uncontrollably so that but for his arm about her she must have lost her balance and fallen as she heard that strong soul expressing in simple unorthodox language its gratitude for life and safety mingled with earnest petition for keeping through the night and complete deliverance in the morning it seemed to myra that the heavens opened and the felt presence of god surrounded them in their strange isolation an immense peace filled her by the time those disjointed halting sentences were finished myra had ceased trembling and when jim Earth, suddenly at a loss how else to wind up his prayer commenced our father who art in heaven myra's sweet voice united with his full of an earnest fervour of petition at the final words jim Earth withdrew his arm and a shy silence fell between them the emotion of the mind had awakened an awkwardness of body in that uniting our father their souls had leapt on beyond where their bodies were quite prepared to follow lady ingleby saved the situation she turned to jim Earth with that impulsive sweetness which could never be withstood in the rapidly deepening twilight he could just see the large wistful grey eyes in the white oval of her face do you know she said i really couldn't possibly sit all night on a ledge the size of a chesterfield sofa with a person i had to call mister i could only sit there with an old and intimate friend who would naturally call me myra and whom i might call jim unless i may call you jim i shall insist on climbing down and swimming home and if you address me as mrs o'mara i shall certainly become hysterical and tumble off why of course said jim Earth. i hate titles of any kind i come from an old quaker stock and plain names with no prefixes always seem best to me and are we not old and trusted friends was not each of those minutes on the face of the cliff a year while well, that second which elapsed between the slipping of my knife from my right hand and the catching of it against my knee by my left may go at ten years ah think if it had dropped altogether no don't think we were barely half-way up now you must contrive to put on your shoes and stockings he produced them from his pocket and then we must find out how to place ourselves most comfortably and safely we have but one enemy to fight during the next seven hours cramp you must tell me immediately if you feel it threatening anywhere i have done a lot of scouting in my time and i know a dodge or two i also know what it is to lie in one position for hours not daring to move a muscle the cold sweat pouring off my face simply from the agonies of cramp we must guard against that jim said myra how long shall we have to sit here he made a quick movement as if the sound of his name from her lips for the first time meant much to him and there was in his voice an added depth of joyousness as he answered it would be impossible to climb from here to the top of the cliff when i came down i had a sheer drop of ten feet you see the cliff slightly overhangs just above us so far as the tide is concerned we might clamber down in three hours but there is no moon and by then it will be pitch dark we must have light for our descent if i am to land you safe and unshaken at the bottom dawn should be breaking soon after three the sun rises to-morrow at three forty four but it will be quite light before then 
i think we may expect to reach the moorhead inn by four a m let us hope miss murgatroyd will not be looking out of her window as we stroll up the path what are they all thinking now questioned lady ingleby i don't know and i don't care said jim Earth gaily you're alive and i'm alive and we've done a record climb nothing else matters no but seriously jim well seriously it is very unlikely that i shall be missed at all i often dine elsewhere and let myself in quite late or stop out altogether how about you why curiously enough said myra before coming out i locked my bedroom door i have the key here i had left some papers lying about i am not a very tidy person on the only other occasion upon which i locked my door i omitted dinner altogether and went to bed on returning from my evening walk i am supposed to be doing a rest cure here the maid tried my door went away and did not turn up again until next morning most likely she has done the same to-night then i don't suppose they will send out a search-party said jim Earth. no we are so alone down here we only matter to ourselves said myra and to each other said jim Earth quietly myra's heart stood still those four words spoken so simply by that deep tender voice meant more to her than any words had ever meant they meant so much that they made for themselves a silence a vast holy temple of wonder and realization wherein they echoed back and forth repeating themselves again and again the two on the ledge sat listening the chant of mutual possession so suddenly set going was too beautiful a thing to be interrupted by other words even lady ingleby's unfailing habit of tactful speech was not allowed to spoil the deep sweetness of this unexpected situation myra's heart was waking and when the heart is stirred the mind sometimes forgets to be tactful at length don't you remember he said very low what i told you before we began to climb did i not say that if we succeeded in reaching the ledge safely we should owe our lives to each other well we did and we do ah no cried myra impulsively no jim Earth, you glad and safe and free were walking along the top of these cliffs i in my senseless folly lay sleeping on the sand below while the tide rose around me you came down into danger to save me risking your life in so doing i owe you my life jim Earth. you owe me nothing the man beside her turned and looked at her with his quiet whimsical smile i am not accustomed to have my statements amended he said dryly it was growing so dark they could only just discern each other's faces lady ingleby laughed she was so unused to that kind of remark that at the moment she could frame no suitable reply presently i suppose i really owe my life to my scarlet parasol she said had it not attracted your attention you would not have seen me should i not questioned jim Earth, his eyes on the white loveliness of her face since i saw you first on the afternoon of your arrival have you ever once come within my range of vision without my seeing you and taking in every detail on the afternoon of my arrival questioned lady ingleby astonished yes replied jim Earth deliberately seven o'clock on the first of june i stood at the smoking-room window at a loose end of all things sick of myself dissatisfied with my manuscript tired of fried fish don't laugh small things as well as great go to make up the sum of a man's depression 
then the gate swung back and you in golden capitals the sunlight in your eyes came up the garden path i judged you to be a woman grown in years perhaps not far short of my own age i guessed you a woman of the world with a position to fill and a knowledge of men and things yet you looked just a lovely child stepping into fairyland the joyful surprise of unexpected holiday danced in your radiant eyes since then the beautiful side of life has always been you you in golden capitals jim earth paused and sat silent it was quite dark now myra slipped her hand into his which closed upon it with a strong unhesitating clasp go on jim she said softly i went out into the hall and saw your name in the visitor's book the ink was still wet the handwriting was that of a holiday child i should like to set you copies the name surprised me agreeably i had expected to be able at once to place the woman who had walked up the path it was a surprise and a relief to find that my fairyland princess was not after all a fashionable beauty or society leader but owned just a simple irish name and lived at a lodge go on jim said lady ingleby rather tremulously then the name shenstone interested me because i know the inglebys at least i knew lord ingleby well and i shall soon know lady ingleby in fact i have written to-day asking for an interview i must see her on business connected with notes of her husband's which if she gives me permission are to be embodied in my book i suppose if you live near shenstone park you know the inglebys yes said myra but tell me jim if if you noticed so much that first day if you were interested if you wanted to set me copies yes i know i write a shocking hand why would you never look at me why were you so stiff and unfriendly why were you not as nice to me as you were to susie for instance jim earth sat long in silence staring out into the darkness at last he said i want to tell you of course i must tell you but may i ask a few questions first lady ingleby also gazed unseeingly into the darkness but she leaned a little nearer to the broad shoulder beside her ask me what you will she said there is nothing in my whole life i would not tell you jim earth her cheek was so close to the rough norfolk jacket that if it had moved a shade nearer she would have rested against it but it did not move only the clasp on her hand tightened were you married very young asked jim earth i was not quite eighteen it is ten years ago did you marry for love there was a long silence while both looked steadily into the darkness then myra answered speaking very slowly to be quite honest i think i married chiefly to escape from a very unhappy home also i was very young and knew nothing nothing of life and nothing of love and how can i explain jim earth i have not learnt much during these ten long years have you been unhappy he asked the question very low not exactly unhappy my husband was a very good man kind and patient beyond words towards me but i often vaguely felt i was missing the best in life now i know i was how long have you been how long has he been dead the deep voice was so tender that the question could bring no pain seven months replied lady ingleby my husband was killed in the assault on targay at targay exclaimed jim earth surprised into betraying his astonishment 
then at once recovering himself ah yes of course seven months i was there you know but within himself he was thinking rapidly and much was becoming clear sergeant o'mara was it possible an exquisite refined woman such as this bearing about her the unmistakable hallmark of high birth and perfect breeding the sergeant was a fine fellow and superior but good lord her husband yet girls of eighteen do foolish things and repent ever after a runaway match from an unhappy home then cast off by her relations and now left friendless and alone but sergeant o'mara yet no other o'mara fell at targay and there was some link between him and lord ingleby then into his musing came myra's soft voice from close behind him in the darkness my husband was always good to me but and jim Earth laid his other hand over the one he held i am sure he was he said gently but if you had been older and had known more of love and life you would have done differently don't try to explain i understand and myra gladly left it at that it would have been so very difficult to explain further without explaining michael and all that really mattered was that with or without explanation jim Earth understood and now tell me she suggested softly ah yes he said pulling himself together with an effort my experience also misses the best and likewise covers ten long years but it is a harder one than yours i married when a boy of twenty-one a woman older than myself supremely beautiful i went mad over her loveliness nothing seemed to count or matter but that i knew she was not a good woman but i thought she might become so and even if she didn't it made no difference i wanted her afterwards i found she had laughed at me all the time also there had all the time been another an older man than i who had laughed with her he had not been in a position to marry her when i did but two years later he came into money then she left me jim Earth paused his voice was hard with pain the night was very black in the dark silence they could hear the rhythmic thunder of the waves pounding monotonously against the cliff below i divorced her of course and he married her but i went abroad and stayed abroad i never could look upon her as other than my wife she had made a hell of my life robbed me of every illusion wrecked my ideals embittered my youth but i had said before god that i took her for my wife until death parted us and so long as we were both alive what power could free me from that solemn oath it seemed to me that by remaining in another hemisphere i made her second marriage less sinful often at first i was tempted to shoot myself as a means of righting this other wrong but in time i outgrew that morbidness and realized that though love is good life is the greatest gift of all to throw it away voluntarily is an unpardonable sin the suicide's punishment should be loss of immortality well i found work to do of all sorts in america and elsewhere and a year ago she died i should have come straight home only i was booked for that muddle on the frontier they called a war i got fever after targay was invalided home and here i am recruiting and finishing my book now you can understand why loveliness in a woman fills me with a sort of panic even while a part of me still leaps up instinctively to worship it i had often said to myself that if i ever ventured upon matrimony again it should be a plain face and a noble heart 
though all the while I knew I should never bring myself really to want the plain face. And yet, just as the burnt child dreads the fire, I have always tried to look away from beauty. Only, my fairyland princess, may I say it, days ago I began to feel certain that in you, you in golden capitals, the loveliness and the noble heart went together. But from the moment when, stepping out of the sunset, you walked up the garden path right into my heart, the fact of you, just being what you are, and being here, meant so much to me that I did not dare let it mean more. Somehow I never connected you with widowhood, and not until you said this evening on the shore, I am a soldier's widow, did I know that you were free. There. Now you have heard all there is to hear. I made a bad mistake at the beginning. But I hope I am not the sort of chap you need mind sitting on a ledge with and calling Jim. For answer, Myra's cheek came trustfully to rest against the sleeve of the rough tweed coat. Jim, she said. Oh, Jim. Presently. So you know the Inglebys, remarked Jim Earth. Yes, said Myra. Is the lodge near Shenston Park? The lodge is in the park. It is not at any of the gates. I am not a gatekeeper, Jim. It is a pretty little house standing by itself just inside the north entrance. Do you rent it from them? Myra hesitated, but only for a fraction of a second. No, it is my own. Lord Ingleby gave it to me. Lord Ingleby? Jim Eyre's voice sounded like knitted brows. Why not Lady Ingleby? It was not hers to give. All that is hers was his. I see. Which of them did you know first? I have known Lady Ingleby all my life, said Myra truthfully, and I have known Lord Ingleby since his marriage. Ah, then he became your friend because he married her. Myra laughed. Yes, she said, I suppose so. What's the joke? Only that it struck me as an amusing way of putting it, but it is undoubtedly true. Have they any children? Myra's voice shook slightly. No, none. Why do you ask? Well, in the campaign I often shared Lord Ingleby's tent, and he used to talk in his sleep. Yes. There was one name he often called and repeated. Lady Ingleby's heart stood still. Yes, she said, hardly breathing. It was Peter, continued Jim Earth. The night before he was killed he kept turning in his sleep and saying, Peter, hello little peter come here i thought perhaps he had a little son named peter he had no son said lady ingleby controlling her voice with effort peter was a dog of which he was very fond was that the only name he spoke the only one i ever heard replied jim Earth. then suddenly lady ingleby clasped both hands round his arm jim she whispered brokenly not once have you spoken my name it was a bargain. We were to be old and intimate friends. I seem to have been calling you Jim all my life. But you have not yet called me Myra. Let me hear it now, please. Jim Earth laid his big hand over both of hers. I can't, he said. Hush, I can't. Not up here. It means too much. Wait until we get back to earth again. Then, oh, I say, can't you help? This kind of emotion was an unknown quantity to Lady Ingleby. So was the wild beating of her own heart. 
but she knew the situation called for tact and was not tactful speech always her special forte jim she said are you not frightfully hungry i should be only i had an enormous tea before coming out would you like to hear what i had for tea no i am afraid it would make you feel worse i suppose dinner at the inn was over long ago i wonder what variation of fried fish they had and whether miss susanna choked over a fish-bone and had to be requested to leave the room oh do you remember that evening you looked so dismayed and alarmed i quite thought you were going to the rescue i wonder what time it is we can soon tell that said jim earth cheerfully he dived into his pocket produced a match-box which he had long been fingering turnabout with his pipe and tobacco pouch struck a light and looked at his watch myra saw the lean brown face in the weird flare of the match she also saw the horrid depth so close to them which she had almost forgotten a sense of dizziness came over her she longed to cling to his arm but he had drawn it resolutely away half-past ten said jim earth miss murgatroyd has donned her nightcap miss eliza has sighed good-night summer good-night good-night at her open lattice and susie folding her plump hands has said now i lay me myra laughed and they will all be listening for you to dump out your big boots she said that is always your good-night to the otherwise silent house no really does it make a noise said jim earth ruefully never again oh but you must said myra i love i mean susie loves the sound and listens for it jim that match reminds me why don't you smoke surely it would help with the hunger and be comfortable and cheering jim Eyre's pipe and pouch were out in a twinkling sure you don't mind it doesn't make you sick or give you a headache no i think i like it said myra in fact i am sure i like it that is i like to sit beside it no i don't do it myself another match flared and again she saw the chasm and the nearness of the edge she bore it until the pipe was drawing well then oh jim she said i am so sorry but i am afraid i am becoming dizzy i feel as though i must fall over she gave a half sob jim earth turned instantly alert nonsense he said but the sharp words sounded tender four good feet of width are as safe as forty change your position a bit he put his arm around her and moved her so that she leant more completely against the cliff at their backs now forget the edge he said and listen i am going to tell you camp yarns and tales of the wild west then as they sat in the darkness jim earth smoked and talked painting vivid word pictures of life and adventure in other lands and myra listened absorbed and enchanted every moment realizing more fully as he unconsciously revealed it the manly strength and honest simplicity of his big nature with its fun and its fire its huge capacity for enjoyment its corresponding capacity for pain and as she listened her heart said oh my cosmopolitan cowboy thank god you found no title in the book to put you off thank god you found no name which you could place relegating its poor possessor to the ranks of society leaders in which you would have had no share and oh most of all i thank god for the doctor's wise injunction leave behind you your own identity twelve under the morning star the night wore on stars shone in the deep purple sky 
bright watchful eyes looking down unwearied upon the sleeping world the sound of the sea below fell from a roar to a murmur and drew away into the distance it was a warm june night and very still jim Earth had moved along the ledge to the further end and sat swinging his legs over the edge his content was so deep and full that ordinary speech seemed impossible and silence a glad necessity the prospect of that which the future might hold in store made the ledge too narrow to contain him he sought relief in motion and swung his long legs out into the darkness it had not occurred to him to wonder at his companion's silence the reason for his own had been so all-sufficient at length he struck a match to see the time then turning with a smile held it so that its light illuminated myra she knelt upon the ledge her hands pressed against the overhanging cliff her head turned in terror away from it her face was ashen in its whiteness and large tears rolled down her cheeks jim dropped the match with an exclamation and groped towards her in the darkness dear he cried oh my dear what is the matter selfish fool that i am i thought you were just resting quiet and content his groping hands found and held her oh jim sobbed lady ingleby i am so sorry it is so weak and unworthy but i am afraid i feel faint the whole cliff seems to rock and move every moment i fear it will tip me over and you seemed miles away you are faint said jim Earth, and no wonder there is nothing weak or unworthy about it you have been quite splendid it is i who have been a thoughtless ass but i can't have you fainting up here you must lie down at once if i sit on the edge with my back to you can you slip along behind me and lie at full length leaning against the cliff no oh no i couldn't whispered myra it frightens me so horribly when you hang your legs over the edge and i can't bear to touch the cliff it seems worse than the black emptiness it rocks to and fro and seems to push me over oh jim what shall i do help me help me you must lie down said jim Earth between his teeth here wait a minute move out a little way don't be afraid i have hold of you let me get behind you that's right now you are not touching the cliff let me get my shoulders firmly into the hollow at this end and my feet fixed at the other there with my back rammed into it like this nothing short of an earthquake could dislodge me now dear turn your back to me and your face to the sea and let yourself go you will not fall over do not be afraid very gently but very firmly he drew her into his arms tired frightened faint lady ingleby was conscious at first of nothing save the intense relief of the sense of his great strength about her she seemed to have been fighting the cliff and resisting the gaping darkness until she was utterly worn out now she yielded to his gentle insistence and sank into safety her cheek rested against his rough coat and it seemed to her more soothing than the softest pillow with a sigh of content she folded her hands upon her breast and he laid one of his big ones firmly over them both she felt so safe and held then she heard jim Eyre's voice close to her ear we are not alone he said you must try to sleep dear but first i want you to realize that we are not alone do you know what i mean god is here when i was a very little chap i used to go to a dame school in the highlands 
and the old dame made me learn by heart the hundred and thirty-ninth psalm i have repeated parts of it in all sorts of places of difficulty and danger i am going to say my favourite verses to you now listen whither shall i go from thy spirit or whither shall i flee from thy presence if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me if i say surely the darkness shall cover me even the night shall be light about me yes the darkness hideth not from thee but the night shineth as the day the darkness and the light are both alike to thee how precious also are thy thoughts unto me o god how great is the sum of them if i should count them they are more in number than the sand when i awake i am still with thee the deep voice ceased lady ingleby opened her eyes i was nearly asleep she said how good you are jim no i am not good he answered i'm a tough chap full of faults and beset by failings only if you will trust me please god i will never fail you but now i want you to sleep and i don't want you to think about me i am merely a thing which by god's providence is allowed to keep you in safety do you see that wonderful planet hanging like a lamp in the sky watch it while i tell you some lines written by an american woman on the thought of that last verse and with his cheek against her soft hair and his strong arms firmly round her jim Earth repeated slowly mrs beecher stowe's matchless poem still still with thee when purple morning breaketh when the bird waketh and the shadows flee fairer than morning lovelier than daylight dawns the sweet consciousness i am with thee alone with thee amid the mystic shadows the solemn hush of nature newly born alone with thee in breathless adoration in the calm dew and freshness of the morn as in the dawning o'er the waveless ocean the image of the morning star doth rest so in this stillness thou beholdest only thine image in the waters of my breast when sinks the soul subdued by toil to slumber its closing eye looks up to thee in prayer sweet the repose beneath thy wings o'ershadowing but sweeter still to wake and find thee there so shall it be at last in that bright morning when the soul waketh and life's shadows flee o oh, in that hour fairer than daylight's dawning shall rise the glorious thought i am with thee jim Eyre's voice ceased he waited a moment in silence then do you like it he asked softly there was no answer myra slept as peacefully as a little child he could feel the regular motion of her quiet breathing beneath his hand thank god said jim earth with his eyes on the morning star End of chapters 11 and 12